people. The more we can have in a tax-free bucket available to us in retirement, the better retirement will be because you don't have to worry about paying taxes on that money in retirement. So if you're ineligible to contribute directly, you can still do this roundabout way to get money into that Roth IRA. You are listening to the Financial Clarity for Doctors podcast by Finity Group, LLC, where we discuss the pertinent financial planning topics facing physicians and other medical professionals. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research, Inc., a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA SIPC, and now, here are your hosts, Rochelle Vanderzanden and Corey Janoff. All right, everyone. Welcome to Financial Clarity for Doctors. I'm Corey Janoff, joined as always by Rochelle Vanderzanden. Hello, everyone. And we're super excited today. We have some new audio equipment. So hopefully we're uh, bringing a new and improved sound to the podcast. Um, if you're watching on our YouTube channel or our website or seeing a short clip on social media, you might notice the new microphones in front of our face and uh, it might be out of the, the view, but the soundboard that we have attached to them as well. We're trying to figure it out, but hopefully it goes smoothly and we can deliver a better uh, listening experience for you guys. Mm-hmm. Corey gives me a little too much credit. We are not trying to figure out. He's trying to figure it out, but he's doing a good job. <laughs> Well, today we've got an exciting topic to cover, uh, pertinent for this time of year, and um, we're going to talk about backdoor Roth IRAs with you guys. And first and foremost, Rochelle, do you have a quick disclosure for us? Oh yeah, definitely not recommendations or tax advice in this episode. To be clear, there's a lot of ways to mess this up, so be careful. (laughs) Yes, please consult with a financial advisor and uh, preferably also a tax professional, a CPA, uh, before proceeding with really any IRA contributions because there's so many nuances and and hoops you got to be jumping through and making sure you're reporting it correctly on your tax documents. And especially with the backdoor Roth IRA, there's a lot of ways that you can trip up. So Mm -hmm. we're going to, today our goal is to walk you through the ins and outs of it, hopefully so you have an understanding of what you need to do to get it right, but still people who know what they need to do often still find ways to screw it up. So definitely consult with a professional um, to make sure that we're, we're dotting all of our I's and crossing all of our T's when we go to file our taxes so you can be in the, on the right side of the tax man. Absolutely. And I think the best news that we probably have for everyone is that you can still contribute for 2019. So each year you can make a, a contribution and technically the deadline to file a contribution for each year is not until the tax filing deadline. So for 2019 contributions, we actually have up until April 15th. So we've got a little bit of time. So hopefully this is still relevant for some folks out there. Yes. So if you're watching this, we're, our goal is to get this one out mid-March. So you'll still have about a month to mm-hmm. uh, make a contribution. Now, please don't wait until 10 p.m. on April 14th to try and get your deposit in, um, especially if you're doing the backdoor Roth IRA. And you'll, you'll see why here. But there's several steps you have to take. And it's odds are not going to happen if uh, you're waiting till the last minute. So please uh, do it as soon as possible. Ideally, kind of March 30th is the mental deadline for you if you're doing a backdoor Roth IRA. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's dive into it. Cool. And I think we're getting a little bit ahead of ourselves. Some of our listeners might not quite know what these things are that we're even talking about. Agreed. So a good place to start is probably what is a Roth IRA. 
So IRA stands for Individual Retirement Account. So that means that an IRA is an account that you can set up for yourself. That's an, a retirement account that you don't have to go through an employer to contribute to. So that means maybe you could set one up online, you can set one up with a financial advisor or something like that. The Roth IRA is an account that you make a contribution into with money you've already paid taxes on. So for example, from your checking account. And then when you get to retirement, any qualified withdrawals are tax-free which is amazing, assuming that we, you know, that money is able to grow over time. We don't have to pay taxes on the amount that we put in because we already paid taxes on it and we don't have to pay taxes on the gross. I think that's the big, biggest thing to emphasize here, why we're big fans of Roth IRAs mm -hmm. is because it's tax-free in retirement. There are very few vehicles out there where you can access money tax-free and a Roth IRA is going to be one of the more common ones. So the more we can have in a tax-free bucket available to us in retirement, the better retirement will be because you don't have to worry about paying taxes on that money in retirement. So you can use it to spend and live off of versus sending a chunk of it to the tax man every year. Yep. And we are a little bit limited with Roth IRAs. You could only contribute up to $6,000 per year in 2019. That number changes a little bit each year, but it's still not a ton of money for high income earners. But it's just some money that we're able to get into that bucket that will be tax-free in retirement. So it's really valuable even to have a smaller bucket of those funds when you get to retirement. But that's also a reason that we try to encourage people to contribute to those Roth IRAs each and every year that you're able to do so because you're so limited on how much money you can get into them. So if you're able to make a Roth IRA contribution and do it correctly, it can be really helpful to kind of kickstart that bucket. Yes. And you can't go back and add money for missed years. Mm -hmm. So once April 15th passes, you know, you can't make it up. Also, if you're over the age of 50, you can contribute an extra $1,000 per year as a catch-up contribution. So uh, make sure that if you are uh, you know, hitting that 50 year old mark this year that you're getting uh, an additional $1,000 in there to, to the $7,000 limit for you. And I guess one other thing to note is that with IRAs, it's a $6,000 per person limit. If you have a spouse, they can also make that contribution, whether they're working or not, it would be their own individual account. So you would have an account, your spouse would have an account, and you could make a $6,000 contribution for each of you. So that's another good way to, to boost your retirement savings. Yes. Now, if you're if you earn below a certain threshold, so if you're in residency or fellowship, or maybe you know, still a med student, um, or maybe you're in practice not working full time, uh, you might still be able to contribute directly to a Roth IRA, and then you can just um, you know forget about all the stuff we're talking about in the back <laughs> half. Although still relevant because you'll probably find yourself uh, ineligible at one point. So, a real quick overview uh, of the income thresholds: if you are single, uh, single. Filing taxes, you know, you're not, you're not married at all, uh, but filing taxes single uh, and you make under $122,000 in 2019, it's $124,000 in 2020, you're able to contribute the full $6,000 into a Roth IRA. Uh, if you make above 122, there's a phase out range and you can contribute a, a smaller and smaller amount uh, until you cross over the $137,000 figure and then you can't contribute at all to a Roth IRA. So really, if you're over that 122 mark and it's going to be a limited contribution, we might as well just start doing the backdoor Roth IRA now. And this is adjusted gross income. Um, there's several variables that go into it, but the easy formula for, for a rough estimate is whatever your gross earnings were for the year, minus any pre-tax retirement account contributions you made at work. Absolutely. And for a married filing jointly, obviously that 
that number is a little bit higher. So if you make over 193,000 together, then you start to hit that phase out range. So you can do a limited amount until you get to 203,000 and then you just can't contribute at all directly. The one important thing to note is that you, if you are married and if you are filing separately, you basically cannot make a direct Roth IRA contribution. That phase out range is like zero to $10,000. And that's something that does catch people a lot off guard, I feel like. Like they don't disclose that they're filing separately, but then they decide to do it for their student loans or something like that. But they've been making Roth IRA contributions and you can't do that. If you're filing separately, you can't put money directly into a Roth. Yep. Exactly. One of the downsides to filing separately. And really for our listeners, I mean, the main reason you would even consider filing separately is to just keep your income driven student loan payment amount based on your sole income versus your household income. Uh, But if you're doing that, you cannot make a Roth IRA contribution, period. Mm -hmm. That's where the backdoor Roth IRA comes in. (laughs) So if you're ineligible to contribute directly, you can still do this roundabout way to get money into that Roth IRA, which is silly. When I first learned about it, I made the person that was explaining it to me explain it four times because (laughs) it doesn't seem logical to me. (laughs) So I just, I didn't believe that it was a real thing, but the IRS is not always logical. So this is how you do it. There's the government for you. It doesn't always make sense. (laughs) Now, before 2010, this option, this backdoor Roth IRA didn't exist. Um, There was an income limit on conversions to Roth IRAs and the income limit was actually lower than the uh, income limit for direct contributions. So really there was no option once you were ineligible for a Roth IRA. In 2010, um, that income restriction went away and now it freed up the opportunity for people not only to do this backdoor Roth IRA, but also convert any pre-tax account into a Roth IRA. So that's something that you know, we'll advise, uh, you know, case by case basis, but advise some people on. If you have a small retirement account balance from an old employer and your income is relatively low at the moment, it might make sense to actually convert that pre-tax IRA into a Roth IRA, pay a little bit of taxes on it, um, and get it into an account where you'll never be taxed again. Or if you are above the income limit for Roth IRAs and you want to do the backdoor Roth IRA, we'll get into this in a minute, but you actually have to you know, either convert or get rid of somehow your pre-tax IRA accounts in order to proceed. And if it's a small balance, pay a little bit of taxes on the conversion, um, then you can proceed with the backdoor Roth IRA. At its at its simplest, that's what you're doing. You're putting money into a pre-tax IRA and you are doing a conversion into the Roth IRA instead of a contribution because there are no income restrictions regarding conversions. You can make however much money and choose to convert money from a pre-tax plan into a Roth IRA. And that's how the law is written now. Laws change all the time. So this is definitely something we'll have to keep an eye on. But right now, this is what you can do. We'll come up with an updated version if the laws change. And think of a conversion as basically a transfer. You're transferring it from a pre-tax IRA, most likely a traditional IRA, into a Roth IRA. Mm -hmm. Conversion, transfer, same thing, but you know the technical term is a conversion. Right, and we do want to go through some more detailed guidelines on how to do this. So we like to focus on five main steps. 
I like your first step, Corey. You want to talk a little bit about that one? Yes. <laughs> step number one. Think of it like you're baking a cake and you want to, you know, you're following a recipe. First step is clear your work surface. Make sure there's no debris, nothing on the, that's going to get in your, in your batter and screw things up. And what we mean by clear your work area is make sure you do not have any pre-tax IRA accounts at all. If you have a pre-tax IRA account already, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Mm -hmm. You cannot proceed. And they might be called a traditional IRA. They might be called a rollover IRA. There's a couple of different names. A but if it, SEP IRA, yeah. a simple IRA. Yes. If it says IRA and it doesn't have the word Roth in the title, it's most likely a pre-tax IRA account. Yes. And uh, the reason why we can't proceed without getting too far into the weeds, you, you come into this issue called the pro rata rule, which basically creates a tax nightmare for you. And if you start doing these uh, backdoor Roth IRAs while having an existing pre-tax IRA account uh, in existence, you're basically going to pay double taxes on your money, which is no good. We don't want to do that. I guess you could do the backdoor Roth IRA, but it really, I don't, I don't think it would make sense because you're just paying unnecessary extra taxes. Um, so we need to, we either need to stop and not proceed, or we need, if we want to still do the backdoor Roth IRA, we need to do a couple things, uh, or, or, you know, one of several things and, and somehow get the money out of this pre-tax IRA account. And Rochelle, you want to talk about some of the ways we can do that? Sure. So one thing you mentioned already is conversions, which I really like. Um, so you can choose to convert money that's in a pre-tax account into a Roth IRA. And when you do that, you create a taxable event. You're basically adding it to your taxable income for that year. But it doesn't necessarily mean that that's a bad thing. You can choose to pay taxes now in order to forego taxes in the future by doing that. So we like that in some scenarios. If it's a really large balance, that's probably not a good idea. Like you have to be very cognizant of the amount of taxes that that's going to add to your tax bill. But if it's a fairly small balance or if it's a balance that you feel comfortable paying taxes on, then that could be the way to go. One thing to make very clear is that with conversions and contributions, the limits that we talk about with contributions don't apply to conversions. So I do get that coming up with clients pretty frequently where they think that if they do a conversion, they're not going to be allowed to do a contribution because they're already over that limit, but that just doesn't apply to con conversion. So you can still do a $6,000 contribution even if you've converted more than that, for example. Yeah, you could convert a million dollars and then still add and another 6000 Right. And then the one other way or the, the main other way that we can choose to get money out of that pre-tax IRA is potentially to move it into a, like, um, like an employer plan. So if you have a 401k or a 403b at work that's also pre-tax, you can probably roll that money into that plan. Yeah. And a couple of nuances here. One, uh, uh, the employer plan has to allow rollovers, which most do, but you'll mm -hmm. have to check and make sure that they accept rollovers from IRAs uh, before you can proceed. Um, and then if you are just going to convert the IRA into a Roth IRA and claim the amount as income and pay taxes on it, really important that you don't withhold the estimated taxes from the amount that's converted. If you withhold the taxes, that's considered an early distribution and you're going to be subject to an additional 10% penalty for pulling money out of the IRA account early. So you're going to want to um, just set some money aside from your checking your savings account to write a check to the IRS in April the following year and pay those taxes out of pocket rather than having them withheld 
uh, from the conversion. Right. So converting a million dollars would be pretty expensive. <laughs> yep. If you have an extra, you know, four or 500,000 lying around for taxes, then it could make sense. Um, but for okay. most of you, probably not. <laughs> so that's the first step, complicated one, if you do have money in a pre-tax IRA. The second step is fairly simple. You open up a traditional IRA and you make a $6,000 contribution into that traditional IRA. The $6,000 is the limit. You can do less than that. If you can afford to do $3,000, but you don't think you can quite do six, then do $3,000. $6,000 is just that upper limit. Correct. 7000 if you're over 50. But yeah, do as much as you can up to the limit. Mm-hmm. And if your spouse uh, is in the picture, if you have a spouse, your spouse can do the same thing. Another six or potentially 7000 to uh, a traditional IRA for a total of between twelve and fourteen for the household. Um, so yeah, let's get as much in as we can uh, each year. Absolutely. And then you do the conversion. So you have money in your traditional IRA, you convert it into the Roth IRA. And assuming you have an, a Roth IRA already open, you just convert your traditional into your existing Roth. If you don't already have a Roth IRA, you'll need to open a Roth IRA first. So you would open a traditional and a Roth at the same time, deposit money into the traditional. You'll have to wait a few days for the bank to clear the transaction before you can convert it. But once the the money has settled in the account, you can then transfer slash convert the traditional IRA into the Roth IRA. Normally, when you do this conversion from a pre-tax account to a Roth IRA, you would have to pay taxes. But that money is money that you took out of your checking account, so it's already been taxed. So there's it's not a taxable event as long as you record it correctly. Correct. So, um, and I guess it's kind of skipping ahead to the last step, although we could, you know, do them in, in reverse order, but super important that you report when you do your taxes that you made a non-deductible IRA contribution. Non-deductible IRA contribution. I'm going to say it again, non-deductible. Super important that the word non-deductible is included because there's this little box that you'll check on the tax software or or hopefully you're working with an accountant if you're doing this and your accountant will know what to do and, and check the right box. But that'll trigger an additional form that gets filed with your tax return called an IRS form 8606. And this tells the IRS that you did not take a tax deduction on that $6,000 that you contributed. If that form is not on file with your tax return, about a year and a half later, you're going to get an angry letter from the IRS saying you owe them money when you don't actually owe them money. You just didn't file your taxes correctly. Mm -hmm. Um, So, and it's easy to fix. If you screw it up, you you have to just amend your, your tax return, but you know, that could cost money and time and headaches and it's annoying. Um, So super important that you get it right the first time report that you made a non-deductible IRA contribution, make sure it's uh, that form 8606 ends up in your, in your tax return. And after your taxes are filed, double check, make sure you see that form 8606 somewhere in there. If it is, you're probably good to go. Um, and, and you'll uh, be able to do it again next year. No problems. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. The step I skipped was investing. That is very important also. <laughs> yep. A lot of people do all the steps. They get the money in, convert it, report it, but they forget to actually invest the money. And the whole point of uh, you know putting money into these retirement accounts is hopefully it can grow over time so we have a larger balance available when we actually retire and go to withdraw the money. So the account itself isn't actually an investment. It's just a shell that tells the IRS how to tax what's inside. 
And every single account you have is like that. Your 401k, 403b, IRA, brokerage account, you name it. Um, all they are is just shells that tell the IRS, here's how you tax the money inside. Within the account, you actually have to invest it. And you can invest in whatever you want to within, within reason. Yeah. yeah. But invest the money. Um, you know, we'll do another episode on investing. Um, but you, you just want to make sure that money gets invested appropriately for your goals, time horizon, comfort level with risk, et cetera. And hopefully you give it the chance to grow over time so that uh, you can potentially withdraw a balance that's larger in the future tax free. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's just going to sit there. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, again, uh, we strongly recommend or encourage you to work with an accountant if you're going to consider doing this because. There are a lot of ways to mess it up and accountants, you know, do 500 plus tax returns per year and they see this stuff all the time. They're familiar with it. You're only Mm -hmm. doing it once per year. It's not your area of expertise. Easy to miss a box or or not file the form correctly. So definitely if you've been doing your taxes up to this point, would encourage you to strongly consider working with a tax professional to make sure it gets done correctly um, so that you're not wasting time trying to clean it up after the fact. And some of those mistakes, uh, maybe let's we want to cover the, the common ones that we see here? Absolutely. I think we talked about them a little bit along the way, but I think it makes sense just to call them all out and say these are the ones that you need to try to avoid. Um, one of them, we just talked about this, failing to report to the IRS that the contribution was non-deductible, so filing that form 8606. That's the one that makes it so you don't have to pay taxes again on the money you already paid taxes on. Um, that's especially common with prior year contributions. So normally, yes, we have until that tax filing deadline to make an IRA contribution, and you can still do that this year. It does make it a little bit more difficult for reporting purposes to make sure that we are accurately reporting like that we made that contribution, that it was non-deductible, because we're not automatically getting some of the forms generated from the investment company that we would see. Like one of those is a t- called a 1099. It basically shows that we did that conversion. But if we don't, if we do it within the next year, between January and April, that form's not going to get generated until, you know, we're filing our taxes for 2020. Yeah. So it can get a little bit more confusing. It's still doable. Just make sure that you're crossing those T's and dotting those I's. Um, And if you can contribute in the calendar year, that's always going to be the easiest way. Yeah. Absolutely. Save yourself stress and energy. And I guess, you know, from Rochelle and I's perspective, we're a little biased. Um, All of our clients who contribute to their IRAs during the calendar year, well before the end of the year, we love you. For those of you who like to wait until the last minute to get your contributions in, we still love you, but you're making our hair turn a little grayer um, than we would like. And it's, again, it's possible. It's just, you know, last minute, we're rushing. Um, It's easy to forget to report it, like Rochelle said. Other things we've seen, like people making a last minute contribution and, you know, they they might be mailing a check-in and I've had clients mail a check-in payable to the wrong institution. Like they'll make a check payable, you know, directly to a fund company versus the custodian that's holding their account. Or we've had people write checks payable to Finity Group. When Finity Group isn't a bank, we don't hold the money. Mm-hmm. Um, and then where it's like, hey, sorry, we just got your check on April 14th, but we can't deposit it because it's not payable to the right person. We've had people try and make electronic deposits and then they don't have the money in their checking account because they forgot to transfer it and mm-hmm. it gets rejected and then they can't make their contribution because the deadline's passed. So, you know, 
easier to catch errors, easier to fix errors um, if you get it done before the end of the year, December 31st. And really, I'd, I'd make Halloween your mental deadline. Get it all done mm-hmm. before then. Because, um, again, contribution, then conversion. Ideally, both steps are completed before December 31st each year in order to uh, make it as seamless as possible for you. I've also come across a lot of people that are doing ongoing contributions to a Roth IRA or maybe even a traditional IRA. Like they've decided they want to make monthly contributions because that's easier for their budget. You know, they're getting that money into the market slowly over time. But they may have a change throughout the year where maybe they're making significantly more income. Maybe they get married and they decide to file their taxes separately. There's all sorts of reasons that that can be a nightmare. And if you do make contributions into a Roth IRA that you were ineligible to do, you can fix it, but it's very difficult. And if you've made multiple ones, there's actually a form you have to file basically to recharacterize that contribution as a traditional IRA contribution. But if you've made multiple contributions, you have to file that form multiple times. So it can it can be a nightmare. Just have a little foresight when you're making those Roth IRA contributions. And just organization, like anything in life, the more organized mm-hmm. um, and detailed you are, you know, we've, we've come across some people who we start doing this backdoor IRA business and then they find out that they're having $100 a month pulled from their bank account from an old into an old Roth IRA that they set up in college and they totally forgot it even existed or a traditional IRA. Mm-hmm. You know, so being aware of, of what accounts you have, um, if you do have automatic deposits going somewhere, know what they are and if it's, you know, time to stop those we, because we can't do them anymore. Um, yeah, we we got to make sure that we take care of that so that we're not dealing with any uh, pre-tax accounts lying around um, that could make us ineligible or ineligible Roth IRA contributions. Um, you know, again, those are the common ones that we see too. People you know, making contributions to accounts mm-hmm. they aren't supposed to or having existing pre-tax accounts and doing this and get tripped up. Um, and yeah, just kind of forgetting what you've had previously. And if you have multiple accounts and, and you're contributing to one that you didn't know about and then you do another one and you contribute more than 6000 you know that's not allowed either. And you're going to have to withdraw the mm-hmm. excess money. And if you don't catch it until it's too late, you're going to have to pay penalty taxes uh, when you withdraw it. Yeah, absolutely. I've also come across a few situations where people were dealing with their tax professional and their tax professional just didn't quite understand what they were trying to accomplish. And I think once in a while, things just get lost in translation. And it can be a little bit difficult to, you know, have an advisor helping you with your account and then also try to be dealing with a a CPA or a tax professional. And like what they're telling you is maybe contradictory. And there are ways to facilitate more conversation and make that easier. Like if, if it seems like you weren't doing something correctly, like ask again, just keep asking questions. Don't be afraid to do that because this can be confusing. And if you're working with both a tax professional and a financial advisor, get them in touch with each other. Mm -hmm. You know, CC them both on an email. Hey, Bob and Susie, you're both free to talk to each other about my situation. Just want to make sure we we get everything You'll have to sign off on some sort of disclosure to allow them to do that. But absolutely, they both should be willing to do that. Yeah, and even like an email with your disclosure and permission is probably Mm -hmm. sufficient. But just tell them, hey, please, you know, make sure you're on the same page with what happened with my IRAs um, so that it gets documented and filed correctly. Yeah, you shouldn't have to be the go-between if it's not going very well. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. 
Anything else you can think of? I don't think so. Thank you for joining us, everyone. We really appreciate all the shares and likes. And if you can keep giving us feedback on topics you want to learn more about, we are always looking for new ideas. So we do really love it when we actually get those from our audience because then we know it's something that you want to hear about. Yes, we base most of the topics off of the common things that we come across with dealing mm -hmm. with our clients. But if there's anything particular you want to uh, hear about, uh, more than happy to... to to take your input and bring in some future episodes on those topics. But check us out on uh, our, our new YouTube channel, on our website as well. You can watch these podcasts, follow us on social. I begrudgingly created an Instagram account, so <laughs> you can you can check me out there and uh, at Corey Janoff and get a little behind-the-scenes look on what's going on with, with the podcast, with Finity Group, and, and a little bit in inside yeah. our lives as well. The making of. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks again, everyone. Have a good one. We would love to hear your feedback and suggestions for future topics you'd like us to cover. You can get in touch with the show by emailing podcast at thefinitygroup.com or by following Finity Group on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn, and YouTube at Finity Group LLC. You can follow me on Twitter at Corey Janoff CFP. Instagram at Corey Janoff or on LinkedIn under my name, Corey Janoff. You can follow me on Twitter at Rochelle Finance or on Instagram, Vanderzanden Rochelle or on LinkedIn under my name, Rochelle Vanderzanden. Check out all of the podcast episodes on the affinitygroup.com slash podcast on our Finity Group YouTube channel or your favorite podcast app. And don't forget to check out our Financial Clarity blog at theaffinitygroup.com slash blog. Thanks for listening to this episode of Financial Clarity for Doctors by Affinity Group, LLC.